Good morning and welcome. Happy Hump Day. You're tuned in and listening to Bat Talk with Sharona. I am your host. My name is Sharona. As always, I thank you for tuning in. We have a big show today. I was fortunate enough to be able to sit down with my good friend, uh, Josh Taylor. He was a Pittsburgh sports guy. He is on a, a local TV station there. He writes for Steelers Depot. He's done a lot of radio. A great guy. He covers uh, a lot of football. He covers baseball. We focused primarily on baseball, on the Steelers. We talked a little bit about uh, their week three loss to to Philadelphia, uh, the situation there. Got an injury update on, on what's going on with guys like Eli Rogers. And then we talked a little bit about whether it's fair to put Mike Tomlin on the hot seat. Always a great pleasure to talk to Josh Taylor. We'll we'll run that interview here in a few minutes. It's a, it's a bit long because we finished up with some week four picks. Actually, not some. We went through the week four schedule and picked every game. Uh, my... Picks against the spread last week were not very good, but I did pretty well picking um, just picking the games themselves. We'll see how I do this week. Might have to do a segment where we follow back up on that and see how well I do on on those picks. And then in the last part of the show, we're going to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers' big win over the Florida Gators this past weekend. We'll talk a little bit about the Titans' loss to the Oakland Raiders, and then we'll finish up with a discussion about debate night. A lot of thoughts to share with you guys on that. We haven't talked about politics here in a while, so it's about time that we um, turned our attention back to it. We're about six weeks away, I guess. This is um, September 20, 28th, so we're uh, edging ever so slowly toward that, um, the day when the the election will finally be over. Uh, maybe we'll get Matt to sit down and talk about that. There's a lot we could talk about in our chat tonight, which we'll play on Friday's show. Uh, so, t- so stay tuned in for that. We'll do a fantasy football segment for, for that as well. But again, first up, my chat with Josh Taylor. Um, it's, it's, Interesting to see what's going on in the AFC. I picked the Steelers. I picked Pittsburgh to win the AFC North. I still think that they have a good football team. They obviously, they have a lot of injuries. Um, so we'll get Josh's thoughts on that and a whole lot more. So we'll take another just real quick break. And then when we come back, my chat with Josh Taylor. So stay tuned in. You're listening to Bat Talk with Sharona. All right, hang on just a second. We're having a little bit of technical difficulty with the Josh Taylor interview. We'll have that for you here in in just a moment. Um, back to the the Volunteers' uh, big win over over the Tennessee uh, over the Tennessee over the the Florida Gators. You know, it's kind of interesting. I didn't expect them to win that game. Uh, it's I'm glad that they did. Don't get me wrong. I'm very glad that they did. But, you know, it's 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 interesting to me because I'm just not sure how good they are as 
as a football team. I, I want them to have a lot of success, but you know they they start they start out slow. This has been kind of a uh, a theme for for the Tennessee Volunteers. They're slow they're slow start, and then you know they'll. They generally speaking, they play a little bit better, you know, kind of in 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 the toward the end of the the second quarter, the second half. Would they have won that football game though if the Florida Gators didn't kind of choke a little bit? I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether they would have or not. I mean, again, I'm glad did win. They've got a very tough schedule coming up. We got the the uh, Georgia Bulldogs coming up next. Uh, then of course the the big game against um, Alabama the third Saturday in October they'll face Texas A&M which it was interesting I was reading an article last night that that ranked Texas A&M above the the Volunteers in terms of how good those two football programs are I think that there may be a little bit more evenly matched possibly than that rider is texas a&m a better football team i guess we'll find out that's going to be a big test for for bitch jones obviously he's got to get past georgia first um but you know i think that i think that that the volunteers might be as as good if not a little bit better than than texas a&m kevin someone uh we've talked a lot about him on this show how how good is he um, he's done a better job than I expected this season. We'll need to get Daniel Seahorn back on and and talk about that. Talk about what's going on with with Texas A and M. Uh, will Tennessee beat Bama? Probably not. Um, are they a beatable football team? Yes, I think so. Um, but will will Tennessee do it? Probably not. I don't expect them to win that football game. And then they have South Carolina at the end of October. I'm actually going to be in Columbia for that football game. I'm very excited about it. So um, we'll, we'll see how, how that goes. It's uh, Columbia is a fun town. It's a great place to go and, and, and watch a game. I've been there before. Uh, Tennessee actually won that game. They should win this one as well. Uh, Will Muschamp is his first year in South Carolina. They're not a very good football team. They they should win that game, but I don't know whether they they will or not. I'm not confident that they're win they will win it. Uh, it's it's hard to be confident in this team. We'll see how that goes. Uh, all right, let's try once again. I think that we've got uh, Josh Taylor. I'll set up now. We'll take another quick break. We're going to set him up with some Big Daddy Kane again. So stay tuned in. You're listening to Back Talk with Sharona. My, 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 yes, I must admit that I have never knew love like this before, and I adore everything about all right, welcome back. As promised, I'm joined now by Josh Taylor, my buddy Josh from the uh, Pittsburgh area. We're going to uh, get you guys up to date on what's going on with the Steelers. I'm very excited to find out uh, what Josh, think, Josh thinks about 
the return of Le'Veon Bell. If you own Le'Veon Bell in fantasy football like I do, you've been kind of chomping at the bit. Um, the Steelers had a bit of a debacle in week three. We'll get Josh's thoughts on that. So without further ado, we'll bring Josh in, let him reintroduce himself to you guys. Since it's been a while, it's been too long. I'm so glad we were able to do this, Josh. Yeah, we had a couple of hits and misses there. Yeah, a couple of months or so. So it's was, it was good to get reconnected. Yeah, it um, it de- it definitely is. And so um, for the listeners out there who who might not be familiar, tell them a, just a little bit about yourself, kind of the Reader's Digest version. Well, as it currently sits, I was uh, around this time maybe a couple months ago. I was still hosting over at Trip Live Radio. Since then, there's been a little bit of a shift. So no longer with Trip Live Radio, but still hosting and, and anchoring sports over at uh. Um, KDK, which is the CBS affiliate here in Pittsburgh on the TV side, and I'm actually doing some work with the Steelers, hosting uh, Steelers Saturday night with Charlie Batch and Chris Hoke. I'll be doing that this weekend, plus I'll be hosting Steelers kickoff, getting ready for this week's game against Kansas City. So a lot of football talk on, on uh, in the hopper for this week coming up. Well, it sounds like big things, though. I love Charlie Batch, and he's um, um, he was such a fixture with the Steelers, you know, for for so long, and really was, in my opinion, one of the better backups in the league. Hey, very, very much beloved here. Charlie's a Pittsburgh guy. He grew up in the Homestead area on the uh, southeastern part of town. So he's very, very, uh, very highly regarded here. And he's beloved as one of the favorite Steeler backups ever. And also very active in the community. There's a lot of uh, fundraisers and a lot of uh, different community-based outreach. So Charlie has a really, really strong name in Western PA. Yeah, he does. Now, you're I know you're a baseball guy too and we're not going to talk about baseball, although I might have to ask you about uh the situation with Ho- Jose Fernandez and the sad thing and um you know what the Marlins did did last night, which you're, if you're a sports fan, um you, you kind of needed that, you know, sports can be um so uplifting for for those kinds of moments and um kind of a sad situation and we extend you know our condolences to the Marlins and and to everyone who knew him well let's go ahead and get started with with the Steelers because we that that's kind of what we were were going to focus on what happened in in week 3 and we'll talk a little bit about whether or not it's justified that there's some talk that Mike Tomlin might be in the hot seat a uh, few different things you can answer that question with. The first where you can say what happened is that Carson Wentz happened. Yeah. I think a lot of people didn't expect him to come out and have that kind of a game that he had. A lot of people would tell you, oh, well, you know, he just he just you know executed the game plan that the coaches gave him. Well, give him credit and give the coaches credit, too. Give Doug Peterson credit yeah. if that's the case. But another thing you can say is that the Steelers did something they've done quite a bit in the last few years is that they've gone on the road against teams that on paper they should beat, and they failed to beat them. Not only did they fail to beat them, they kind of lay an egg, and it's something that's happened quite a bit here in the past few years with this team, and it's kind of had the same symptoms. You know, some some bad defensive play, some mistakes on offense, maybe a couple by the quarterback, and, and maybe some bad decision-making on the coaching's part. But we've seen this quite a bit. We saw it last season when they went to Baltimore and lost to Ryan Mallett, where Ben Roethlisberger got played outplayed by Ryan Mallett. We saw it a couple years ago. They went on the road and lost to the Jets, and Michael Vick was still their quarterback. They did mm-hmm. it in Cleveland and lost to Brian Hoyer. So it's not something that's really you know, foreign to the fan base here. Of course, that doesn't make them happy to see and hear that, but I think that's a good dose of it also. A good, another thing you can chalk it up to is maybe 
injuries on defense. When you're losing guys left and right, when you lose Robert Golton, you're starting strong safety that early in the game, and Ryan Shazier comes out a couple of times. Lawrence Timmons comes out later. Even yeah. on the offensive side, Ramon Foster goes down with the chest yeah. injury. Eli Rogers goes out with a toe injury. Those are a lot of, of injuries that really come back to affect you, especially considering the fact that Eli Rogers was one of the guys on offense that was actually doing pretty well before he got hurt. Yeah. And considering that Marcus Wheaton, Marcus Wheaton was coming back off a back injury and had a couple of really critical jobs. One of them, I think, if he catches a surefire touchdown pass on that first drive of the game, I think that turns into maybe a three-point deficit, maybe 13-10 to 10 at halftime that the, at the Eagles have the lead as opposed to maybe 13-3, to three, and it's not 20-3 to three Eagles off their first drive. So those are things that are all critical. You can really chalk it up to all those things. I think it's a grand collection of things that went wrong. It wasn't just one thing. It was really more of a comedy of errors for the Steelers. Yeah, I, Eli Rogers, you mentioned him. He was a guy that I had picked up in, in fantasy football. He wasn't someone that um, – that I had drafted, but I saw, you know, that he was, you know, kind of, um, you know, doing all right, and so he he was someone that I picked up and uh, had been kind of monitoring it. it the injury there, uh, it, it doesn't sound good. He was in a boot today. What are you hearing about that? Same thing I'm hearing. He was in a boot. They, they said it's a toe injury, but the fact he's in a boot, you don't know if it's because of the severity of the injury or just yeah. because maybe they're trying to protect that toe and, and you know keep it the, the exposure to be minimal. But mm-hmm. as it says right now, uh, Mike Tomlin says his status is um, not necessarily determined for this week. I guess it'll be day-to-day. I'm sure they'll monitor him as he goes, but um, I don't expect him probably to participate in practice tomorrow, and we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. But if they lose Eli Rogers, it's it's a really big loss for them as far as finding another reliable receiver next to Antonio Brown. But like you mentioned, the return of Le'Veon Bell kind of changes that. Yeah. Because Le'Veon Bell is a guy who we know is dangerous both in the backfield, mm-hmm. but he's also dangerous when he's split wide. So it does become a much better situation for him as far as being able to help in the passing game from that perspective. Now, you know, what we're being told is what Mike Tomlin is saying, expect a lot of Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell, expect heavy doses of him because from what they say, he's in shape, he's ready to go, he's all healed up, and he'll be ready to play after missing three games for that suspension. But having Le'Veon Bell back obviously helps the offense. But, of course, having Eli Rogers, he was really starting to separate himself as maybe a good option at that slot receiver mm-hmm. position. So to lose him may hurt you a bit, but to have Le'Veon Bell back maybe gives them a punch that they needed before. Yeah, it, it was very encouraging because you didn't know, you know, if you drafted Le'Veon Bell, and I had, uh, I drafted him after um, the news about the suspension and all of that. I know, you know, some people had drafted him before, and his ADP was really high for obvious reasons. He's such a fantastic talent. Um, I had, uh, and I was able to snag him in the second round, and I was, I felt like I was fortunate, you know to do that so that, you know, if you have him, it was very encouraging to hear Mike Tomlin say, hey, he's not going to be on a pitch count. He's not, we're not going to limit his snaps. He'll play as much as, and obviously he'll play as much as, as, as he's able and as his conditioning will allow, because it is different, you know, um, being in football shape and being on the field and being hit. It's a, it's a different animal, isn't it, Josh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mike Tomlin talks about that all the time when they talk about OTAs, and he always refers to it as as football in shorts. He doesn't want to really (laughs) ever really lend that much attention to it because it's such a different dynamic when you're out there, you know, just, you know, it's 
seven on seven if you're running the skelly drills and no one's hitting you and you're kind of catching passes. And, of course, everybody's running around. Everybody looks good. Everybody looks fast because mm-hmm. no one's laying hands on each other. But when you get out there and, and helmets get to moving around and shoulder pads start cracking and, mm-hmm. and bodies start flying, it's a much different dynamic. Yeah. And I think this kind of reminds you of last season when Le'Veon Bell was coming off of a suspension then. Yeah. And he came in, and his first couple of weeks looked really, really good. And then week yeah. six, he gets hurt against the Cincinnati Bengals, and we don't see him again. So it's definitely something that you keep in the back of your mind. You never want to acknowledge that, you know, it's something that could happen, but you have to be ready for the possibility that could happen. Injuries are a part of the game. We hear one of those things that, that coaches say all the time, that injuries can play a factor, so you never want to discount it. But at right. the same time, you, you like the fact that you're getting one of your better guys, if not – you know, your best guy besides your quarterback and your wide receiver back out on the field. Yeah, and you mentioned it, and it's a good point. I want to ask you about this. What from uh, – and, and Le'Veon Bell's a young guy, and, and we're not going to get into the the weed discussion, although we talk on this show about weed a lot and how um, you know, attitudes are changing and, blah, and, and I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with weed. But you have to be on the field to, to contribute – for the team, and what is your sense about how the Steelers feel about Bell? Obviously, such a fantastic talent, but you know this is his second suspension, and you know with the Martavius Bryant thing, is there any concern there? Um, those two situations are, are kind of different. Well, not even kind of different. I think they're very starkly different. I think the Martavius Bryant situation. I think players were more disappointed. And Martavis Bryant, because it just seemed more of, okay, we know yeah. he did this and this is how we feel. Yeah. Or with Le'Veon Bell, these guys were very supportive of Le'Veon Bell. They were expecting his suspension to be overturned throughout training camp. And they were really of the belief that maybe Le'Veon Bell was not being treated fairly because of the collective bargaining agreement and maybe because of uh, some of the power that Roger Goodell wields as the commissioner. So right. there was a lot of differing sentiment there. It was more support of Le'Veon now, Bell. Now, did he miss a test? Or what was his situation? I forget. Well, the 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 particulars are that he missed multiple tests. And okay. Bell will say that you know he, he missed it for separate reasons. One was early in the morning. He didn't wake up on time. One of them, I think he missed a phone call. So there's a lot of differing um, situations there about him missing. But you would agree with me that that's not a good sign anyway. Right. It, 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 that's the thing. I mean, if, I hate to use this word, but that's the optics of it. It looks yeah. like if you miss a test, it looks like you failed it. And that's why they create the rule that a missed test is equal to a failed test. Right. And, and when you miss multiple, it makes it look even worse. But at the same time, Le'Veon Bell maintained his innocence, and you know he maintained right. that um, at one point that he did actually um, did smoke marijuana later on in the year last year. But other than that, was trying to make his test and just uh, failed to, to um, be present for them. So Now, is this – he's? Action. I guess he's in the program. Do you know what stage he is? Um, he does not get advanced past that part of the deal when they knocked his deal back by a game. I guess they came to a compromise. They would reduce his suspension to three games, and he would not be advanced okay. in the program. So he's still, so he's still in stage one. Step one. Right. Okay. Okay. Stage one is a lot easier to Once you get to stage two and beyond, your goose is basically cooked, If and you you got to quit. You just got to quit. And that's that's the Martavis Bryant situation. Yeah. He was in stage two. Yeah. Um, when he tested positive, or, or or there was even talk about him missing tests as well. Mm-hmm. So when you get into stage two, that's when it gets serious, and you're you're in a much different pickle, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. It's um. Yeah, it's yeah yeah, and again, you know, it's 
the the thing to me is, and, and we talk about this on the show a lot when it comes to to weed. It's so easy to to not even get in the program. You kind of got to be a big dummy to even get in there, and you know. And then once you're you're snared, um, you you know you just got to be so careful and. I don't know. It's it's a difficult situation, but it's good news, um, not just for fantasy owners, but for the Steelers in particular. And um, the the situation with Ryan Shazier, and, and I love the guy. You know that. We've talked about him a lot, uh, you and I. But, um, you know, he's health has been a concern with him since he came into the league. And it's something that's become somewhat of a frustration uh, around here in the local market here. Fans kind of – uh, get a little agitated anytime Ryan Shazier goes down or has to leave for a couple snaps, even if it's just you know to readjust the chin mm-hmm. strap on his helmet. They, they get worried about oh, is Shazier hurt again? Oh no, here <laughs> he is. He's fragile. He's frail. And you have yeah. to remind people that the the type of football that Ryan Shazier plays, he plays it fast. He's very, he plays physical. It very physical. Yeah. So he, he's I, I like to liken him to a cruise missile. Yeah. Shooting through gaps from time mm-hmm. to time, and you have to remind people. And this is something that I, I remember often. One of my favorite. Uh, formulas, you know, studying physics in my junior year of high school was F equals MA, force equals mass times acceleration. Yeah. So if you're as fast mm-hmm. and as as strong as Ryan Shazier is, you're going to hit guys with a lot of force, and it's mm-hmm. going to cause some physical damage on your body. Now, there has been the repeated question of moving Ryan Shazier to safety. It's to the point where every time someone asks me about moving Ryan Shazier to safety, I just roll my eyes. I keep, keep telling them it's not going to happen. It was sh- it's ridiculous. No. He's not, he's not built to be a strong safety. You don't want to do that. He's built to be a, a strong, fast, successful inside linebacker. Now, yeah. could you make the argument that maybe he should maybe add some mass onto his body? I'd accept that argument. Should he be a little bit stronger, maybe you know, a little bit better conditioned and, and better you know, placed to, to take some punishment? I wouldn't say no to that argument, but moving a position, uh, in my opinion, and I think in the Steelers' opinions also, is very much out of the question. You know, Steelers fans, and it's understandable, and fans are in general um, get spoiled. Um, by success and, and and what have you, but they have been spoiled by the fact that you know um, up until recently, and we'll, I, I want to ask you about the Georgia player Jarvis Jones, I think it's his name, but up until very recently, they were very fortunate in that their defensive players were remarkably durable, and of course James Harrison is kind of the um, gold standard there, isn't he? Oh, at 38 years old, you're not going to find many guys. That could do what James Harrison does. And if you think I'm kidding, go on his Instagram page. Just look yeah, at some of the things that he does with a set of weights or even in some cases two sets of weights it looks like. The man is just subhuman. Or I should say um, – I shouldn't say subhuman. I should say superhuman yeah. in some of the things he does in a weight room. But it translates to the football field yeah. as well. He's still able to make plays on an NFL level. At 38 years old, playing the position that he plays is nothing short of remarkable. Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing and – um, I, I'm a big fan of old man football, and so you know, even though a part of me loves to hate the Steelers, it's 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 always great to see guys like that. And um, and you know, uh, we talked a little bit about James Harrison and and the situation with him, and I'm glad. I know people were so upset and mad about it, but I'm glad that he made the decision to sit down with the commissioner and put that situation behind him, and it turned out to be nothing. And um, and I, I think that that was not just good for James Harrison, but good for the league in, in general. So Jarvis Jones, what's the situation with him? Uh, Jarvis Jones is at Sands. I think he was another guy that um, 
came out of that game at 1.2. So I have, can't remember. I have to try to find that here because I'm trying to remember the latest we heard on Jarvis Jones. But uh, Jarvis Jones is a guy who has a lot to prove yeah. in the meantime. He's yeah, he really... in the very last year of his contract. Mm-hmm. Now, bear in mind, he was a first-round pick. And going into the season, the Steelers had the um, decision of, ex- of accepting his fifth-year option for next year to tack mm-hmm. that on with him being a first-round pick. And they declined yeah. that fifth-year option. So he's in this contract year, and they pretty much admitted, look, we did it as a motivating factor. We need this guy mm-hmm. ready to come into play and ready to contribute. And I don't blame them. Do you? No, not at all. I think it made perfect sense. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I have two minds about this. One of them is that they do have to try to mo- uh, motivate Jarvis Jones to be better than what he is. He's going to have to step up and try to really get a hold of this situation because mm-hmm. he's a guy that they really do need. And they don't have the same kind of defense that they had in years past where you had two bookend outside linebackers coming at the quarterback, i.e. James Harrison and Lamar Woodley, maybe as, as late mm-hmm. as six years ago. They don't have that with Jarvis Jones. Bud Dupree on the other side, he's out with a serious um, injury in his core area, having a muscle torn. So he's working to get himself back. So that's another guy. So now you're talking about not having possibly two of your starting outside linebackers that are key pass rushers. But in Jarvis Jones's case, I've always felt like there's been a lot of expectation on him, and I feel like he hasn't lived up to it. At the same time, um, I also feel as though he might have been kind of set up to fail from the beginning. Jarvis Jones was brought in a situation where he's a first-round pick, a rookie mm-hmm. outside linebacker. He's expected to come in and start in the defense that, if you remember in years past, Dick LeBeau never started rookies yeah. on his defense, except maybe a handful of guys. Lamar Whitley started to get some snaps in towards the end of his rookie season because mm-hmm. he excelled so well, but it wasn't a start-out-the-gate thing. Jarvis Jones was expected to come out being drafted and be inserted into this defense, Mm -hmm. which never started rookies and was expected to start and excel as a rookie. I thought that was a little bit unfair. It was completely unfair. Plus plus you mix in a little bit of bad luck. Let's not forget two years ago, the Steelers play against Tennessee and he probably makes the biggest play of his career getting into the backfield, sacks the quarterback, forces a fumble, but then breaks his wrist on the same play. So he's out for a long time after that. So it's been a lot of maybe just misplaced trust in Jarvis Jones and a mixture of bad luck as well. You put it all together and people start using that B word. They start labeling him a bust and his career to this point is very, very underwhelming as a first round pick. Yeah, it it was unfortunate. I think that he was overdrafted. I think you and I talked about that a little bit, Um, but he's still a good player. And, And in addition to what you just said, which I completely agree with in addition to to that it's like you know the Steelers defense was in a bit of transition too they were clearly going to be moving on from Dick LeBeau and um and so they draft Jarvis Jones in in that first round and he's expected to come in and fix everything and you don't one player doesn't fix everything and it's it's unrealistic to expect a young guy like that to do it especially when he's a rookie, especially when he's probably even a little bit undersized for the mm-hmm. position. I mean, the thing with Jarvis Jones was they thought he was too small when they first brought him in, so they told him to gain weight. Who so wanted him, weight. by the way? Do you know? I can't remember. Um, I know Mike Tomlin felt pretty good about him. I know Kevin Colbert sang a lot of praises about him when they first drafted him, and they were very excited to draft him. I don't remember exactly who of the two was more maybe uh, emphatic than the other one, but I know they did uh, highly highly regard him. He doesn't strike me as a Dick LeBeau player. 
I don't think he does for me either. I don't think he ever really was that type of guy. I think they were trying to create him and develop him into that guy. Mm -hmm. But the problem is they tried to do it in a kind of a trial by fire, and I don't think he was ready for that. I've always been of the belief that he was probably forced into a situation that he probably should not have been in. I think if he had a year or two to really get his body together, to really sit behind maybe a James Harrison or somebody else that could have played that position and maybe shown him a little bit more. Now, over the years, he says James Harrison has taught him quite a bit, but I think if he had that from the very beginning, we'd probably be talking a little bit differently about Jarvis Jones. Yeah, I I agree with that, too. The Steelers have a big game this weekend against the Chiefs. I mean, whether or not you're – got to suit up and play, even if you don't have some some of your better players. Um, I predicted – I picked the Steelers – to um to win the the AFC North right now they're in second place it's still still plenty of football left but what do you think and they and after the Chiefs it doesn't really get much better they have the Jets the Dolphins um I, the Dolphins have been a huge disappointment to me this year and then the Patriots at I I think that's no it's that they had the Patriots at home which is good. You know, and I think this next part of this, this schedule actually does help them. I think being home against Kansas City helps them. Uh, I believe at least being at home against the Patriots gives them a shot, assuming yeah. that they have the majority of their guys yeah, that back are available healthy and, mm-hmm. and you're able to at least take advantage of having Le'Veon Bell back and, and some of these other guys that may be injured or, or lost on this offense right now. But going to Miami, I think I think you mentioned it perfectly. The, the Dolphins should be – they should be an 0-3 team. They should, Let's not kid ourselves. They're they awful. Yeah. And basically, the Dolphins in Cleveland, if for lack of a better description, the Dolphins pretty much said, man, only we can blow a game like this. And Cleveland said, oh, yeah, watch this. <laughs> yeah, over. exactly. I think that's perfect. And that, that's pretty much what happened with the Dolphins and the Browns. So you're talking about the Steelers. You may be, let's say they, even for the sake of argument, let's say they, they beat the Chiefs and go into Miami at 3-1. and one. I think they're in a really good spot to come out of that yeah. game 4-1 and one and maybe face the Patriots at home. At, in a 425 game, mind you, so it's going to be yeah. nationally televised. Everybody will be watching this game. It's hard to imagine what it would look like, as far as the uh, particular, as far as the particular expectations for it. But there's also there's also that expectation of having to face the Chiefs, who, by the way, haven't done too badly mm-hmm. so far. Kansas City is a pretty impressive looking team. They're, they look good. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm really. To a degree, I'm even a little bit surprised at what the Chiefs have done. I expect them to be more of a, a defensive team that maybe expects their defense to really do a lot of the work. And they the get Jamal Charles back this week, I believe. Which is good for them, which is also a concern for them also, because yeah. having Jamal Charles back in their offense is definitely a great thing. He is a weapon when he's healthy. Yes. At least 100%. He's one of the unmistakable weapons in this yeah. league. But just like Le'Veon Bell, there's also yeah. that injury factor yeah. that you kind of keep in the back of your mind with Jamal yeah. Charles. He's had some, some problems with injuries here in yeah. the past few years, and that's something I'm sure Kansas City fans don't discount. But if you add him to this offense now, it gives him another layer yeah. that I think they could do a lot with him. Once again, Alex Smith continues to just perform well under the radar. If I love him. Beater, I just love him. Beater, no. Right. Yeah. He, He's not a world beater, but he does enough. I mean, he's athletic enough. He's been a smart enough quarterback. I think he's been yeah. trained well enough with Andy Reid. And Doug Peterson did a great job with him yeah. during his time as the Chief o- Chiefs offensive coordinator. Obviously, Peterson yeah. is now in Philadelphia, yeah. given the Steelers' problems last yeah. week. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think Alex Smith has really started to find his niche. I think yeah. he was another guy that had a lot of expectations that probably should not have been placed on him. And now he's finally found himself and found his game. He's been really good for Kansas City. I think that defense is still has still has some teeth to it. So that's yeah. something the Steelers are going to have to deal with. Yeah. You might see a lot in this game where 
these two teams are really trying to feel each out each mm-hmm. other out early here in the first quarter, trying to figure out what they want to do. Both of these running backs, both Jamal Charles and Le'Veon Bell, I expect them to both be very active in this game. They're going to come out of the gate and probably come out pretty hot. So with that in mind, you, you, you look at this game, and some people might expect it to be a win on paper because they're at home. It's on national TV, and the Steelers tend to win games in October at home on national TV. But I don't think it's that simple. I think they have to try to figure things out because if you struggle with Carson Wentz. I think I'm going to pick the Chiefs. Uh, I'm leaning towards the Chiefs right now. If you struggle with Carson Wentz and Philadelphia's offense and you have some of those injuries that we talked about carrying over into the next mm-hmm. week, you're probably going to have a lot of problems yeah. with Alex Smith and the Chiefs offense. And one of the things mm-hmm. the, problem, the Steelers have had problems with is defending the tight end. you got Jason Kelsey coming in, or yeah. Travis Kelsey, I should say. And he's pretty talented. He's probably mm-hmm. one of the better tight ends as they go. So They call him Baby Gronk, that. right? I think that's a fair. I think that's yeah. a fair name to give him. He's yeah. more baby Gronk than Gronk's own brothers are. At this point. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's a fair way to put it because yeah. I think behind Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey probably is one of the top tight ends yeah. in the game. He does provide matchup problems. And if you're still dealing with injuries, with even with Lawrence Timmons with his shin injury and Ryan Shazier uh, with that knee injury, Travis Kelsey is going to be able to manipulate that and really have a big game if they're not able to fix it. Yeah, it's going to be a good game. I'm very excited about it. This is a great way to go ahead. Well, before we get off, I want to get your week three picks. Should Mike Tomlin be on the on the hot seat or not? No, absolutely not. I you think it's ridiculous. Mike on the hot seat. I think that's insane. It's Why would the coach of a two and one team be on the hot seat? Yeah. You don't put coaches that are two and one on the hot seat after week three. For people who are talking about that, you're just looking for a reason to fire Mike Tomlin because you never liked him anymore. Yeah, I agree and with that. There are a lot of people in this fan base that feel that way. They, trend, they tend to blame a lot of things on Mike Tomlin. When you have the kind of resume and respected reputation that Mike Tomlin has around the league, you don't put a coach like Mike Tomlin who just happened to lose his first game in week three to a team that had an identical record coming in and put that guy in the hot seat. That's just absolutely absurd and ridiculous. That's just people looking for someone yep. to blame and looking for a reason to hate Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin has one of the best coaching records right now in the league and one of the best win percentages, and the record, record speaks for itself. Has he lost some questionable games? Yes. Has his team had some pretty embarrassing playoff losses? Absolutely. You don't count against that. But here's the thing. There are a lot of coaches in this league who can't even get inside that door Yes. as far as even getting to the playoffs mm-hmm. currently or being a playoff contender, much less mm-hmm. getting there even if they win or lose that first round game. There are a lot of coaches out there who for some odd reason are so subpar and keep finding new jobs. And you <laughs> wonder how they do that, but yet people want to try to make the Mike Tomlins of the world the targets as the guys who yeah. shouldn't be coaches. And I think those people really need to find something else to do because they're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous, and um, and I agree with you. It's 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 hard enough to get there. The Steelers have seen a lot of a lot of success under Mike Tomlin. Real quick, let's go through um, some Week Four picks: Dolphins, Bengals. This this one's an easy one. It has to be the Bengals, right? Definitely going with Cincy on this one. I, I, I was kind of surprised. Sorry, that's my, my dog barking. That's all right. <laughs> She's very protective of the house, especially when her daddy's home. We, uh, we, accept, we accept pet animals, uh, animal sounds on here. <laughs> <laughs> that will help with that. Um, but, yeah, I would I would say that I was very surprised with how Cincinnati fared last week against the Broncos. I thought they'd have a better showing, but I think they bounced back against the Dolphins, especially at home. Yeah, Colts, Jaguars um, across the pond. Will Gus Bradley make it back home? Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. 
Uh, Gus Bradley is a guy that I think is kind of sold into a bad situation here. Yeah. I'd like to think Gus Bradley is a better coach than what his record in Jacksonville has dictated, but we've seen this before yeah. with coordinators that have been talented, whether offensive or defensive coordinators, they start in really tough situations, and they can't make the best out of it. We've seen it with Romeo Cornell in Cleveland. We saw mm-hmm. Bill Belichick mm-hmm. in Cleveland. We've seen other guys that have been successful coordinators, and they go into bad situations, and they're expected to just be miracle workers, mm-hmm. and it's not the reality of it all. Sometimes you have a bad for an office. Sometimes you just have bad drafting, and sometimes everything just doesn't go your way. I think Gus Bradley actually has a good deal of talent in Jacksonville. I like Blake Borden yeah. as a quarterback. I like Hearns, and I like mm-hmm. Allen Robinson, who's a Penn State guy, by the way, mm-hmm. as a receiver. They actually got a little bit of uh, a Penn State South, if you will, with a couple of uh, Penn State defenders yeah. like Jared Odrick and a couple other linebackers playing down there. So they definitely have talent, guys mm-hmm. like Paul Fuzlesny. So it's not like that's not that Jacksonville doesn't have talent. I think they're just still a few pieces away from really being the team that people expect them to be. I thought they were an outside favorite maybe or an outside shot away from having a a shot at a playoff spot. Uh, I'm not shying away from that, but I do think that the Colts have their share of issues. I Mm -hmm. think Andrew Luck covers a lot of problems that they have, and I'm really worried about – you know, facing that Colts defense. I'm yep. worried about whether or not they're able to stop the weapons that Jacksonville has. T.J. Yeldon's a good running back. I watched him play at yeah. Alabama when I covered the SEC a few years back. T.J. Yeldon's got a lot of talent. So he really like, does. It's not like Jacksonville doesn't have options. You know what? I'm actually going to take Jacksonville in this one. They're a home underdog, which is very, very rare. Mm-hmm. And I think they have the talent to actually do this at home. I'm going to take the Jags to get that first win. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to see it. I, I, I hate it for Gus Bradley. I'm not convinced he's that good of a coach, and um, but I thought that he might be for a long time. The Colts, I agree with what you said there. Um, having a, a good quarterback can, can hide a lot of issues, and boy, the Colts have plenty of them. I'm going to pick the Colts um, because I'm still in prove-it mode with the Jaguars. I'm holding on to T.J. Yeldon. We'll see how, how that situation goes. This is a game that I – one of the, the games I'm most excited about, Bills-Patriots. This is going to be an interesting game. I think it being in Foxborough – uh, probably goes in the Patriots' favor in some degrees. It's an even line, which is interesting, too. Mm-hmm. You look at it and go, okay, who's starting at quarterback for the Patriots? How is this going to work? Especially it sounds like they get Jacob B. Brisket back. Yeah, getting getting Brissett back, I think, helps them, um, especially with what he did against Houston. I, was oh, I must be impressed. hungry. I think I mispronounced his last name. Having having lived in the South for a few years, I'm never a, I'm never a guy <laughs> who turned out good brisket, so I can't blame you. But um, but with the way that Jacoby Brissett played against Houston, I thought it caught a lot of people off guard. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have because we knew what his skill set was at NC State if you followed him in college. I think Bill Belichick yeah. has a very very good knack for understanding what his quarterback is and knows how he to plan around that. If nothing else, Bill Belichick has this thing where if he goes into having to maybe change an entire game plan, he will still have a game plan where they knew how, know how to do a few yeah. things well, and they're going to do those few things until you stop them. And the problem is Houston couldn't stop it, and mm-hmm. the Texans could not corral it. And they did a really interesting thing with their offensive line. They double-teamed J.J. Watt. Sometimes they double-teamed Jadavian Clowney. Sometimes they had, there was one play where they had Clowney triple-teamed and Watt double-teamed on the other side because not a lot of, not a, not a lot of other guys were rushing. So they had an yeah. interesting uh, way of beating Houston, and it worked. And one thing Belichick is good is good at, he's, he's good at game-planning against his opponents. He he's really is the best at it. their weaknesses. And I think the Bills have a ton of them. Mm-hmm. I think I expect a lot of 
I expect a lot of LeGarrette Blunt in this game. I expect uh, Jacoby Brissett to be a part of the run game in this game. You may see more of that like we saw against Houston. And I expect Houston's defense to give the Bills some problems on offense as well. And as much as probably surprises some people, what the, the Patriots can come out of this thing, given all of these situations and all these problems and injuries and Tom Brady's suspension, they might come out of this 4-0. I know. I think we're struggling to think that, but I think That's it's amazing. possible. I agree with everything that you just said. And the Patriots' defense is a lot better than I expected it to be, even though you know, individually I like a lot of their players, and I'm a huge Jamie Collins fan. Everybody knows that. Uh, the quarterback situation, uh, Bill Belichick, duh, it, I had an interesting discussion with someone, and for a long time I've had people tell me that they felt like Tom Brady was a little bit – a product of of the system there. But I don't know how that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it sounds like a knock, but you want your coach to build a system that plays to your strengths and sort of tries to mask your weaknesses. And um, the the conversation, and I made this person mad. I didn't mean to um, because I said, you know, uh, and it, I thought that it was a compliment, and I basically I said that Bill Belichick, um, that Tom Brady needs Bill Belichick a whole lot more than Bill Belichick needs Tom Brady, and and I don't mean anything bad to Tom Brady, but I would love to see what Tom Brady would have done in another on another team in another system. I think he just landed in a perfect spot. I think that's fair. I think it's fair. It's one thing to be a guy that benefits from a certain system. Then it's another thing to be a guy who's perfect for that system. I think Bill Belichick has been smart enough to not only have parts of his system that help Tom Brady, but there are also parts of Tom Brady that Bill Belichick says, okay, this helps my system. Yeah. The fact that they're very symbiotic in how that works and, and the fact that they've been able to do so much for so long with Brady. And I think Brady – if for no other reason, he's able to adapt to a lot of different things. The Patriots have yeah. done a lot of different things. There were years when they were a run-heavy team. There mm-hmm. were years when they were a pass-heavy team. Then there was a year mm-hmm. they had Randy Moss, and they blew everybody off the map. Yeah. So they're, they're, they've been able to have that kind of adjustment period and have that kind of versatility to do different things pretty much based off of either what they have or what they need to do or what teams don't expect them to do. And, and Belichick, to that degree, you think that Tom Brady could be expendable. Mm-hmm. and. To a degree, maybe he is. But well, they went 11-5 and five with Matt Castle, for right. goodness so sake. You know, that, <laughs> you know that Belichick as a coach is able to at least prepare around what he has, and that, maybe that's the hidden genius of it all. But at the same time, he also he also scouts and drafts players that fit yeah. what he wants to do yes, very, does. very well. He doesn't draft just players. He drafts skill sets. Yeah. He drafts skill sets. He drafts pass rushers. He drafts run stoppers. He drafts corners that can play the pass. He drafts corners that can play the run. Mm-hmm. He converts corners to free safeties. He, he does a lot of different mm-hmm. things. He's able to move guys around because he doesn't say, well, this guy's a corner or this guy's a safety. He says, this is what this guy does well. Yeah. So he, tells, he goes and tells that guy, if you're going to do this, you just keep doing this over and over again. That's why that whole do-your-job mantra that they seem to have pretty well healed there in, in Foxborough, it really does have a meaning. Because for Bill mm-hmm. Belichick, okay, here's what you do. Well, go do what you do well. Do it repeatedly until we tell you to stop. And that's what works for them. Yeah, it really does work for them. Um, I, I think the Patriots are going to win this, although I like the Bills. And, um, and obviously I hope that Tyrod Taylor has some success. I may be forced to play him this week in fantasy football. Titans, Texans, give me your give me your prediction there. 
Titans and Texans, I think this is the game that the Texans finally bounce back. I think this is the game that we figure out just what they're made of. They are at home. I think they're favored by nearly a touchdown here. Granted, that's nothing against the Titans. I think there are some some holes there that need to be fixed, although I am very impressed with what they're trying to do on offense. I do love Marcus Mariota as a quarterback. I love them mm-hmm. coming out of Oregon. I like Derrick Henry mm-hmm. uh, being a part of this offense. I think he's a guy who could be very useful. I do like DeMarco Murray being useful in this offense mm-hmm. as well. I love what they've done with their offensive line. So they have the building blocks in yep. place. Excuse me, if you will, to be a pretty good offense that can run the football, both with their running backs and even get some play action moving the pocket with their quarterback. They got a really good tight end in Delaney Walker, so mm-hmm. they have those basic things down. But the thing I'm worried about is that Houston also has a lot of weapons on their offense mm-hmm. as well. Brock Osweiler hasn't popped off the page, Mm-mm. but he hasn't been terrible either. Um, I think he's got a couple good uh, receivers to work with. Mm-hmm. I think having that kind of versatility that they have uh, on their offense. I think it, it probably does favor Houston, and being on the road is always going to be tough for any team. But I, I will take the Texans in this one. I think they will learn from the mistakes that they made against the Patriots. And I also think they realize they may have underestimated the Patriots and probably taken them a little bit too lightly. And if you figure you figure NFL teams, as much as we hear the any given Sunday thing over and over again, you figure some NFL teams would learn not to take other teams lightly. And I think yeah. they've learned from that lesson, and they come back with the big win. Here. Yeah, especially the Patriots. You never – should exactly. ever take the Patriots lightly, and um, it's it's very uh, you know the the Titans for a while um, for the past seven or eight years have really struggled at Reliance NRG Stadium. I think they call it now um, in Houston, their former home, and um, the Titans have not played particularly well this so far this season and I have to agree it would be the Texans uh I'm talking by the way with Josh um Josh Taylor our Pittsburgh guy uh we're going through your your week four picks Lions Bears uh, these two teams are pretty bad just mixes some Tigers you can really have this game yeah. as a true oh my game <laughs> yeah. it really is an oh my game I look at these two teams and I wonder you almost have that question of which team is going to blow it late this is almost yeah. like Dolphins and Browns revisited because I look at these two teams and neither of them really impressed me. Now, granted, for the Lions, Marvin Jones had a pretty good showing yeah. uh, last week. But I look at the Bears and I look at what's going on with Jay Cutler right now, and it, it's just not a very promising thing to not have him in the lineup. Even when he is in the lineup, he's kind of an enigma. But yeah. to not have him in there to rely on Brian Hoyer and to have yeah. some of the talent that they have, the young talent, guys like Jeremy Lankford, who I like, and guys like Kevin White, whom I loved coming out of West Virginia. I covered his last season. I covered West Virginia during that season in 2014, his last year there. And I thought he was a dynamic player. I thought he was kind of, uh, he was kind of in the mold of a Larry Fitzgerald as far as what he can do, how he can run routes, what he can do with the ball. And even his, Mm -hmm. his physical nature, he's a big, strong kid, but he also doesn't shy away from a challenge. He, he gets in corners faces and jaws back at him. He's got a little bit of fire in him. And I loved everything that he brought to the table. So that injury that had happened last year when he missed his rookie season, I thought really set him back a ways. I'd love to see him develop more. But right now the Bears have shown me nothing that make me confident about them. I think the the Lions have a lot more to offer, and I think the Lions win this one. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I, I, I this one's a hard one for me. I think it could go either way. Um I, I, I'll I'll play devil's advocate. I'll pick the Bears just because I I don't know. It's it's a tough game for me to predict. Panthers Falcons Falcons coming off bit of a short week with that Monday night football game. Who you got? 
Um, I like the Panthers in this one, if for no other reason than Carolina for the same reasons why I like Houston to win. I think Carolina coming off that loss, I think really stunned a mm-hmm. lot of people when they're been they've been kind of underwhelming. I don't think Cam Newton has been Cam Newton. He I, hasn't. I think it's kind he got of beat up in week one, and you know with everything that's going on in Charlotte and, and whatever. Yeah, I think Cam Newton has gotten away from being Cam Newton. I think the Super Bowl kind of messed up his psyche in terms of how he goes about it. I don't think he's the same guy. I don't think he's the same. You know, maybe in your face, kind of the celebratory, more aggressive, more fearless, just go do your thing, guy. I want to see that Cam Newton back. I don't care what people say about Cam Newton. I don't care if they hate him. I don't care if they hate mm-hmm. how he celebrates. I want to see Cam Newton being what he was last Me year too. the MVP of yep. this league. There's a reason why that Cam Newton was the MVP, because he yep. had done things that no other quarterback had ever done yep. in league history before last season. I mm-hmm. want to see that guy again. Yep. I hope we see more of that Cam Newton even starting this week coming up against the Falcons, because I think that guy is necessary, especially considering that Carolina has been a little bit underwhelming. In it happens. Especially mm-hmm. on their defensive side. Losing Josh Norman is starting to maybe show a little yep. bit more than people anticipated. So I, I'd like to see Cam Newton come back to being Cam Newton. I think we'll see more of that this coming week. I think the Car- I think the Cardinals, the uh, Panthers win on the road against the Falcons. I agree with that. I, I'm picking the Panthers, too. Seahawks, Jets. Seahawks, Jets is probably a closer game than people think. Yeah. Um, I think the Jets' defense is very, very good. I, I love Todd they, Bowles. Todd Bowles has been – if people have problems with Todd Bowles, then i got to ask them how much they watch football because yeah. I think Todd Bowles has he's been fantastic. Arm. I think what he's done with that defense from the beginning has been pretty good. I think there are a lot of expectations for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he has not met them. You can't well, win. he's Ryan you can't Fitzpatrick is who, is, is who he is, who he is right? I, I, think, I think he overachieved a bit last year, yeah. and the Jets were on such a run. Now, granted – he did build a really good rapport with Brandon Marshall yeah. and Eric Decker. These guys did something that hadn't been done before either. They had eight games last season where both Marshall and Decker caught a touchdown pass, yeah. and that was a new NFL record. So we mm-hmm. saw the kind of rapport that he built with these guys. So mm-hmm. you take those guys, you say, okay, you have those guys coming back. Then you have a guy, Matt Forte, whom I thought would be a really great addition yeah. to this Jets offense because of his ability to do a lot yeah. of everything. I thought he would be a useful guy, yeah. but that's not really working in their favor right now. This offense has not really worked, I think, the way they've hoped for it to, and Fitzpatrick's been a, lot, a big reason for that mm-hmm. and a lot of why that hasn't happen if I had to go on it now I think it's an even line going into that game I give the Seahawks the advantage I think if the Seahawks get a big big enough lead they can really pin their ears back on their defense and make it even harder for Fitzpatrick to find the rhythm so the Seahawks the key to this one will be getting ahead early trying mm-hmm. to silence, silence that crowd and try to put together mm-hmm. a, a pretty big lead that they can't catch I'm taking Seattle I'm picking the Jets I think they're um you know the the situation with Ryan Fitzpatrick. They were a little bit behind the eight ball. He had a dreadful game. There's no question. Dreadful game in week three. I look for them to bounce back in week four. They're at home. Uh, I know what kind of competitor Ryan Fitzpatrick is. The Seahawks are banged up. Um, uh, uh, Russell Wilson dinged up, and and their offense hasn't been particularly very good or very. Um, consistent and exciting this year. I think the Jets' defense is going to blanket them, and and I think the Jets are going to walk away with this one. I think that would be fair. I think that would be totally fair. And and the injuries being an issue for for Seattle is definitely a situation. And 
the thing that's kind of frustrating if you're a Seattle fan is seeing what Doug Baldwin has done yeah. in these first three weeks. So yeah. to have Doug Baldwin kind of, you know, really shutting up the naysayers. And doing yeah, I love him. To, to have him do what he's doing, I think, was pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and to see Russell Wilson maybe struggling with injuries. And this is considering the fact that Russell Wilson had never missed a game. I don't think yeah. he ever missed a snap coming into this season. Very so. durable. Very, very durable and also very smart. Very I mean, he, very good about avoiding hits. Right. I mean, that was the thing that was great about him. I mean, mm-hmm. he was the antithesis maybe to a Robert Griffin III. Yes, in that exactly. He knew how to avoid contact and really preserve himself. So to see him mm-hmm. with an injury situation is kind of a foreign concept yeah. for Seattle fans. So I can see how there may be some frustration there. Yeah. Raiders, Ravens, can um, the Oakland Raiders, who are coming off that big win in Tennessee, can they knock off a surprisingly undefeated Baltimore Ravens? Yes, they can. The Ravens have not faced a team that has impressed me yet this season. The yeah. Raiders win this game. I really like Derek Carr. Yeah. Uh, I really like Amari Cooper. Yeah. I, I like what they have on offense. They've really yeah. built They've some got some nice offense. running backs. They've got some good running backs, and their defense is really, really good. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why the Raiders are 2-1. and one. I think they win this game. I don't think this Ravens team has proven anything to me yet. If anything, they've been more... They've been more fortunate to have teams that have lost games more than they've won them. The Raiders won this one. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm going to pick the Raiders, too. Browns, Redskins, two dreadful teams. Oh, man. Uh, Actually, you know what? I think a lot of people may be a little bit too heavy-handed on the Redskins. I think they're better than some people think. I actually expected the Redskins to win the NFC East coming into the season. I thought they were the best team in the division. I picked them, too. They're terrible. I I, I think (laughs) I think they will at least prove that they're better than Cleveland. Well, I agree with that. I I think they'll prove they're at least better than Cleveland. Um, I still believe in Kirk Cousins. I still think Washington has weapons on offense. I think the Browns are clearly a team that's trying to transition into something where they're really building more for the long term, and I cannot see the Redskins playing that badly to where they out-brown the Browns, if you will. So I'll take Washington. Yeah, I'll I'll take Washington too. Broncos, Buccaneers, uh, Jameis Winston, much like Marcus Mariota, experiencing those second year struggles is there any way that they can that that the buccaneers can beat the broncos i mean they they look pretty pretty good this year they the bucks look good they're another team that has some good young talent but they're still at least a couple pieces away yeah i think I think losing Levy Smith is going to rear its head yeah. at some point in this season and, and trusting Dirk Cutter to be the guy to run yeah. this team. I don't know if he was ready to be a head coach yet, and I understood why they did it, but I think losing Levy Smith may start to have its effect later on in this season. The fan base is already starting to talk about that. As they should be. Yeah. They should be up in arms about it to yeah. dismiss your coach like that just to keep your offensive coordinator on. And I think that's a good reason to be yeah. concerned about it. But in this case, it, it now bear in mind, it says nothing – against the talent that the Bucks have. Yeah. Because I do like Jameis Winston. I really like Charles Sims. I yeah. really like uh, – I, I really like um, – Mike I, Evans. I, thank you, Mike Evans. I'm kind of <laughs> having a brain cramp there. But I, I do like the talent that yeah. they have. I just don't think they're enough to deal with the Broncos' defense. Yeah. That seems to be getting better. Yes. Which should scare the crap out of everybody. Yes. Trevor Simeon – had his coming out party last week. He's yeah. starting to show himself to be yeah. at least, if nothing else, at least be competent. I think they've earned that three and zero record, yeah. and I think they go four and zero. I think they win this one. Yeah, I pick the Broncos too. Rams, Cardinals. The Cardinals are bad. I'm surprised at how bad they are. I think the Cardinals maybe have gone in expecting to win games more than they have just come out and won them. Yeah, I think the past couple of years people expected the Cardinals to maybe roll over, and they come in and play tough games. They play tough defense. Carson Palmer balls out, Larry Fitzgerald balls out, and they win games. And I think the expectation now is just for them to come in, and that's just given to them. 
And there has to come a point where you're a team that's trying to grow or you're a franchise that's trying to get to that next level. You have to stop expecting and you have to just start imposing your will. So you think they bought into their own hype? I don't think they bought into their own hype per se. I think they just have underperformed what they're okay. expected to be. Fair. I think they can do that this week against the Rams team. That, Which, by the way, if you are Arizona and you lose this game to this Rams team, you really got to start questioning. You really do. You really do. I don't think they they have no business losing this game they to don't. the Rams at home. I got the Cardinals. In I do too. Yeah, completely agree. Um there, if if the if the Cardinals lose this game, they've got to they need to have a come to Jesus meeting and they've got to do some soul searching. Cowboys Forty Niners, uh, boy the Cowboys are on a roll. Cowboys are going to be three and one, and yeah. this is going to blow people's minds. The Cowboys will be three and one after this game. I like Jack that Prescott. Prescott. Mm-hmm. He's been really really good. I loved him at Mississippi State. I yeah, me too. Me State. too. Yeah. I think he's a smarter kid than they gave him credit yeah. for. I think he's a much more prepared quarterback than they gave him credit yes. for. I think Jason Garrett's done a great job with him. I love Ezekiel Elliott yep. with what he's doing. These two yep. guys is a one-two punch, and yep. they're going to be together for a while to yep. so get used to that. Dallas's defense is the one thing that they probably still have to get past yeah. as far as getting more consistent play out of them. But facing the 49ers in a team that just does not have the same kind of talent, mm-hmm. I don't think they have the same kind of drive. I don't think they have – everything in place that they need yet. And I think Chip Kelly's still trying to figure out if this new reinvented version of himself is going to work. And in the meantime, this reinvented version of the Cowboys, I like a lot more, and I think they'll be better. I like Dallas. Yeah, I really love Dak Prescott, too. And um, there's a lot of talent on that team. The 49ers are interesting. And, you know, Chip Kelly coming off the the failed experiment there in, in Philadelphia. And you hear a lot. And 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 I want to believe that Chip Kelly does support Colin Kaepernick and and what he's doing, but I'm still scratching my head while Colin Kaepernick has not played, and because their quarterback situation is horrible, um, we'll see how. I, I I agree. It's it's the Cowboys. I'll be shocked if they lose this game. Saints Chargers. The Chargers have been better than I thought they would be. Uh, they've surprised me as far as what the Chargers have done. I think it's surprising that the Saints are 0-3. Yeah. It maybe it's not surprising that their defense is being what it is, but yeah. you figure with what the Saints have on offense, I thought they'd be better. And I think the Saints are going to be 0-4. Yeah. I think the, I the Chargers win this game. I me think too. I think the Chargers are probably better than people expected them uh, to be. Even they are. Even with the on defense, I think it's going to hurt them. Yeah. But at the same time, I think they overcome it. And I think they're still good enough to beat a team like the Saints. I think they'll score enough points where it won't matter. So yeah, we, I, I like San Diego. Yeah, I agree. We talked about Chiefs Steelers. Real quick, Giants, Vikings. The Vikings, man, they look so good. I love Mike Zimmer. I think everybody loves Mike Zimmer. I don't know anybody <laughs> around, whether around football or as fans are concerned, that doesn't love yeah. Mike Zimmer. He was very beloved in Cincinnati when he yeah. was their defensive coordinator. And, of course, the, the very tragic story, he yeah. lost his wife uh, no. while being in Cincinnati. And they really, yeah. really rallied around him. Yeah. And I think when he took the job with Minnesota, I think a lot of fans were sad that he left, but very happy for him as yeah. a person just because of the character that he has and the yeah. impact that he has on his players. Mike yeah. Zimmer is one of those guys. He's the Bill Cower type. He may not yeah. necessarily be the best X and O's guy, but he's going to get his players to run through a wall for him. Yeah. And the Vikings are doing that. And this is without their left tackle. Ryan Khalil is yeah. gone. They don't have their quarterback. Yeah. Teddy Bridgewater is gone. Yeah. They don't have Adrian Peterson. And they're still a 3-0 and football team. Uh-huh. And they're going to come out of this game 4-0. I agree, too. The Giants team yep. that is probably not as good as it needs to be to win yeah. games. 
Minnesota wins this game, in my opinion. I, I agree. I, I pick Minnesota, too. Josh, I know you have to go. It was so great to talk to you. Tell everybody, once again, where they can find you on social media and where they can listen to your stuff. Uh, you can catch me on social media at Josh Taylor HD. I'm not doing a lot as far as radio these days. A couple guest spots here and there. I haven't really found my next radio home yet, but that's still a work in progress. That actually might be happening sometime soon. I'll have an announcement up there, hopefully, when that happens. But also doing some writing for PiratesBreakdown.com. That's where I do some of my baseball work. And also uh, writing about the Steelers at SteelersDepot.com. Oh, yeah. I love Steelers Depot. So doing some work with Dave Bryan. Yeah. Great guys. Oh, great guys. I had them a lot on my radio show, and uh, I love talking football with those guys. Those guys know their stuff, so I'm doing yeah. some stuff with them as well. And uh, for now, just, you know, still doing some TV at uh, KDK TV here in Pittsburgh, the CBS affiliate. I'll be hosting Steelers Saturday night this weekend as well as uh, Steelers kickoff for Sunday night's game against the Chiefs, so we'll have that going as well. Just uh, kind of bouncing around. I'll be hosting a nightly sports call Saturday night as well and uh, just trying to get everything in place, Be Staying on that grind. That's a lot of stuff. Thanks again, Josh. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Night. Shout out to Josh Taylor, who joined me in that guest segment. Always such fun to talk to Josh, and apologies to him for a little bit of the technical difficulties this morning, getting him going. Uh, but, hey, you know, there's no there's um, no shame in having some Big Daddy Kane for you twice. Such a great song there, and um, really kind of happy with the, the music selection this morning. We're going to, uh, in the thirty final 30 minutes of the show, we're going to talk some Tennessee Titans, uh, do a little bit of a wrap-up of the Raiders game, share some thoughts on on some of the things that I saw when I was going through what is sort of a weekly uh, film study of, of the Titans games. It looks like I'm back. I didn't actually intend to do this. It's just kind of maybe sort of worked out this way, but back to, to really sort of um, focusing a, a little bit more on, on the Titans as opposed to the NFL in general this year writing at Inside the Pylon. You can check out my work there, uh, working on an update to the Jason Morrow piece that I did a few weeks ago uh, after the Titans signed him, took a look at what he might bring, and he made his debut this past weekend. So I'm updating that article. Going to share some things with you guys about how his debut went. Uh, Here's a bit of a spoiler, pretty damn good. So I'm excited about what he might bring. Uh, And then we're going to talk about the debates. Uh, So stay tuned in. We'll take another quick break. You're listening to Bat Talk with Sharona. All right. Welcome back. You're tuned in and listening to Bat Talk with Sharona. I am your host. My name is Sharona. As always, I thank you for tuning in. Happy Hump Day. It's Wednesday. We're halfway there. We'll do another show this week. We'll do a show probably on Friday with the weekly Chopping It Up segment with Matt. We haven't decided yet what we're going to talk about. Oh, we might talk a little bit more about the debates. 
uh, we'll see. There's a lot to, to parse and talk about there. We'll spend about 15 minutes maybe on it. I had intended to, to maybe talk a little bit about the Serena Williams Facebook post, but I don't want to rush through that. I think it's important. I think the situation uh, that we're facing here in this country regarding uh, the police killings of unarmed citizenry is a far more important topic to spend, you know, five or so minutes on. And so we may devote um, a pretty good segment to that on Friday. So you can follow me on Twitter for more information about what Friday's show might be, Sports by Sharona out there on Twitter. It was interesting, you guys, this morning as I was – this is kind of why we had a little bit of a technical issue with Josh Taylor's interview. I got locked out of my Twitter account because somebody was trying to hack it. Um, and, you know, and that is a good way, I guess, to kind of tie this into the um, the debate night and watching the debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And if, you, and if you're a woman, you, you, you know probably where I'm going with this. You know, if you're a woman with a brain and an opinion and you exercise that right on social media, you just it's it's amazing what what you get and uh, my website has been hacked uh, my twitter was was there it was trying to be hacked this morning and you know fortunately twitter stepped in and and handled the situation but i, I was locked out and so I, I had to to take care of that situation and so uh, we didn't quite get get josh hooked up the way we we ordinarily would have but it was great to talk to him, and shout out to him once again for joining me. By the way, uh, Going for Two tonight is going to feature, hopefully, well, you know, listen, hey, we're, we're team no pants on Going for Two. Nathan Powell is going to join Zach Law and me. Always fun to, to talk fantasy football with the community. That will air at 8 p.m. tonight via YouTube Live, so, so look for information on that. We'll be posting a link to that after the show. Uh, so Titans Raiders, it was it, this. These two teams to me are so very similar. Um, although I do think that, and I agree with Josh, I think that they're the Raiders defense is a bit better, maybe more than a bit better defense. Uh, it was a very close football game. It was a hard-fought game. Uh, having gone through and and rewatched it and, and and gone through some film study of it, there are there's a lot to like about what what both teams bring really. But I'll focus primarily on the Titans because we're local here in Tennessee and we talk about the Titans a lot. There's a lot to like about the Titans. There is a lot not to like to, or at least some things not to like to, and I am adamant. I know that Mike Malarkey does not agree with me on this. I, it was obvious from his press conference yesterday. They have got to simplify their offense. Marcus Mariota, um, like young quarterbacks do, is struggling in his second year. They are their offense is the definition of trying to do too much, and and I like Harry Douglas. He's a he's 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 a nice player, but I don't even know what this pitch thing is that they are trying to use. They need to take that out of their playbook. Terry Robisky, take that out of your playbook. You've got two really good running backs. 
in DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry. You've got some some nice talent at the receiver position. Uh, Tajay Sharp, they really focused on Tajay Sharp. Their corner, uh, the Raiders cornerbacks were the. And in all fairness, the the officiating crew was letting uh, both sides really uh, their their secondary uh, letting them play, and I don't really have a problem with that. But if you're going to call an offensive pass interference penalty on Andre Johnson in the end zone in the final minute of the game, you might want to pay attention to the defensive pass interference that's going on too, because you know you're it's 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 highly unfair that um, you know that the cornerback. I think it was the cornerback. I, I need to go, but the, the defensive back was was holding on to Andre Johnson. And he did give a little bit of a push, um, but, you know, he was being held. And so what do you do? Uh, he, he, he wasn't going to get the call, right? I mean, he wasn't going to get the, the defensive pass interference call. He was um, trying to make the play. He gets flagged. And there, did that lose the game? It was certainly disappointing. The Titans had plenty of other opportunities to, to win the game. You do not win very many football games when you turn the ball over three times, and we saw that in game one, in week one against the Minnesota Vikings, uh, where Marcus Mariota turned the ball over three times. And so they've got to cut out the, the turnovers, and and I think it's largely because um, – and the Titans are really pretty disciplined this year for the most part. Now, the terrible penalty by – um, Taylor Lewan and, and Ben Jones was involved in that as well. Taylor Lewan is who he is. The Titans knew that when they drafted him. The fans knew that when he was drafted. It's that is as frustrating and as angry as it can make you to see that kind of stupidity. What made me even more disappointed was Ben Jones. Uh, because Ben Jones is a veteran, and he's a guy who really, in, in my opinion, I think that he is their best offensive lineman right now. And um, he needs to set a better example. He can't be doing that. He needs to be the leader. He's the center. Uh, the center position is kind of like the quarterback of the offensive line. He needs to be that leader, and he can't be doing those dumb things. And so I was more disappointed, I think, in Ben Jones than I was um, anything else. Uh, you can't do those kind of dumb penalties, and I think that was like at one minute and 30 seconds, roughly about one minute and 30 seconds left to play in the game, and you're, you, the Titans would have had the, the football at first and goal, somewhere around the three or four yard line, and they would have scored. You know, they've got again their offensive line, while it's still a work in progress, is is coming along. You know, um, there's a lot to like there, and they would have punched it in between Demarco Murray, Derrick Henry, and hey, Justin Fowler. You know, with his nice play in, in the game. So, you know, they would have punched it in and that would have given them them, them the score. You just can't make those kind of, of mental mistakes and those kind of stupid, dumb mistakes and expect to win football games. Uh, the game against the Texans this weekend, the Texans unfortunately losing their best player in J.J. Watt. 
yes, the injury had was showing already, and he hasn't been himself. But even a less than 100% J.J. Watt is, is a force that you have to deal with. Now he's out for the season. And um, so the Titans will face Houston in, in in Houston, the Texans in Houston, without J.J. Watt. There's no question that gives them a much better chance to win this football game. I might have to change my prediction. Uh, I think that the Titans can absolutely beat the Texans without J.J. Watt. Uh, there's no question in my mind but that they can do that. But they cannot turn the ball over. They cannot commit stupid mental mistakes. They can't play undisciplined football. They have to play their best football in order to do it. And they have a prime opportunity um, in the AFC South. They've got to eliminate those mistakes if they ever want to get you know, over that hurdle. And you listen to Josh and I talk about um, the Colts and the Jaguars, both teams that are really not very good this year. And I legitimately, if listen, if if Gus Bradley doesn't win in in London this weekend, they might just leave his ass there. You know, I mean, he might just not make the trip back. And so it's a good opportunity for the Titans to you know, to take control of, of the division and to, you know, to finally um, get over get over that hump. Simplify the offense, play disciplined on, on defense and special teams, and I think they can win this football game. Uh, Jason Morrow, just a little bit more about him. Hopefully Delaney Walker, who, who's battling a hamstring injury, hopefully he will play this weekend. Oh, by the way, I meant to mention this. Interesting, some interesting by-play interaction between DeMarco Murray and Bruce Irvin. I posted that on my Twitter feed. I might have to, to do a follow-up post on the website, Bat Talk with Sharona and Sports by Sharona, if you want to check out all the videos and 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 um, tweets that, that I post regarding the, the Titans-Oakland's game. But it was a very interesting situation that um, that I ran across. So check that out, too. Jason Morrow had a nice game. He got three passes. I think he was targeted four, maybe five times. And I know that there was one, one incomplete pass. Uh, it was not his fault. It wasn't a particularly well-thrown ball by Marcus Marietta. Uh, there was one play, the only really only, um, you know, problem issue that I have with the play was that it was roughly about a yard, two yards short of the first down. I wonder, you know, as you watch these things, you don't know, is the play designed that way? Did the receiver stop short? You know, I mean, he did, there, there was a little bit of a soft spot there in the coverage. He did stop a little bit behind um, the safety, but he had to wait for the ball. It, you know, it's hard to nitpick these things, but overall, I, he he did a an, a great job as as a receiver and his blocking. I think that he is underrated as a blocker. I really do. So look for the article that I'm about to do for Inside the Pylon, where we'll follow up on his debut and, and post some 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 video of his first game as a Titan and how well he did in, in the receiving game as well as in the blocking game. Uh, good luck to the Titans this weekend as they travel uh, to Houston. It, it's become kind of a, a an interesting rivalry. Obviously, the Titans started out there as the Houston Oilers, and uh, there's a bit of 
bad blood still, you know, in the city, understandably so, because of Bud Adams and and him moving the team. They've got a team now, and the Texans have some young talent, particularly on offense. So should be a good game. Hopefully will be a good game. We'll take another real, real, real quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about debate night. We're going to talk about the Donald. We'll talk about um, some of the – the uh, discussion, the narrative that has um, kind of surrounded the debate, and and I'll share with you some thoughts on you know how it felt to be you know a woman watching that and watching Donald Trump talk over his his opponent, and you know as a woman, it's you know you you watch Hillary and you're like, yeah, I. Been there, done that, recognize that. So we'll talk a little bit about that. So stay tuned in. You're listening to Bat Talk with Sharona. All right, so let's talk. The talk over. I dare say any woman listening out there can relate to this and and understands what it was like, whether you like her or not, understands what it was like to be Hillary Clinton up there in a debate, a historic debate, the first woman as the candidate for a major political party. To be, um, you know, to be in this situation, uh, dealing with a guy who's a serial abuser of women, who whose misogyny, whose um, hubris is is so overweening that it's ridiculous. But you know, just to sit and watch it and to be like, oh yeah, of course he's going to try and talk over her. I mean, first of all, he doesn't have any sense of decorum anyway. Right? I mean he he, he doesn't know what the Constitution means. He has no clue what the Constitution is all about. No clue about how government works. Um is a product of uh the money that was left to him by uh, you know, by his father, by his family, has been a failure in just in everything except reality TV. But this is how he became. I mean, he is Donald Trump is a symptom, really, of everything that's wrong with America. And there's a lot to love about America. There's a lot to like um, about what we are and who we are as a country. But he is definitely a symptom of of what is wrong. And you know, it's it's. It's funny to me because I am, and I understand why people, um, you know, have issues with Hillary Clinton, and and you know might not particularly be be warm to her or warm up to her. Uh, she definitely comes with her own set of of issues. But when you look at the common um, criticisms of her, you know, deception. Well, you know. If you look at all of the fact-checking between the two candidates, Donald Trump is overwhelmingly the liar in 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 the competition. It, the fact-checking post-debate um, was overwhelmingly weighted against Donald Trump. I mean, he 
everything that he, you know, everything he said, it was like, uh, no, that's, you lied there. Well, no, no, you lied there. And then, you know, when you tack on all the misogyny, and it's interesting because I did, I was not familiar with the, the Miss Universe situation. And apparently um, it, because it, you know, it has, I don't want to say only recently reared its head, but it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't a situation where she was going out and, you know, and kind of you know, screaming to the media or whatever, but it has come out now, the abuse that, that he uh, rained upon her talking about her gaining weight. And if you look at the photo of her, um, where he was calling her fat and calling her Miss Piggy, I mean, she's still smaller than, she is by no means fat. She is still smaller than the average um, American woman. And now, you know, she is an American citizen, which is, I think, ironic and pretty great. But, you know, it, it's interesting to to look at that situation. And, and it's just more evidence of what a terrible, terrible person Donald Trump is, particularly to women. And and then you get all of the. Well, we'll turn to the post to the post debate stuff later. Let's talk a little bit about the the debate itself. I really, you know, I liked Lester Holt, and 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 I had some sympathy for him regarding the situation that he found himself in. It's pretty difficult to try and rein Donald Trump in anyway, and obviously he was trying to kept trying to. They didn't keep. He was interrupting Hillary Clinton repeatedly. I lost count of the numbers. It was roughly around 28, 30 times, maybe 31 times, somewhere around there. Um, But I did not think that Lester Holt was a strong enough personality to control the debate. Um, And and I regret having, you know, I wanted him to do so well. And I don't know if that said, if he's going to be the moderator for the next debate, but they have got to get someone stronger, in my opinion, in there, if there's actually even going to be. I mean, this one, I wasn't sure that Donald Trump would even agree to debate her. And, and he did. And then, of course, there's the sniffle situation, which, um, granted, was pretty annoying, you know, uh, if you were watching it. And there's a lot of talk about why that was. And um, Howard Dean with his infamous tweet about cocaine and, you know, maybe there was he was taking amphetamines or, or what have you. But, it, but, you know, it's interesting that he sniffled his way through the debate when you look at a lot of the criticism that was leveled against Hillary Clinton leading up to debate night with the the pneumonia and the coughing and, and and all of that i hate to say this but you know Donald Trump's supporters um the the die hard supporters and some and you know a fair amount of them are women but they seem to hate women you know it's it's a very misogynistic crowd there and um it when you, I don't know how, I just don't know how you can support him. And again, I understand, um, you know, the that Hillary Clinton has her own issues, but I agree with John, uh, with John Oliver. As I generally speaking, as I generally do, and we tweeted out a link to 
to John, uh, one of John Oliver's latest segments when, where he was talking about this. And it's a really great kind of, I think, comparison that he made. <clears throat> he said, if you're talking about having, you know, um, political uh, you know, conflicts of interest and, and what have you, that with politicians, you know, it's, it's something that, I mean, it's a legitimate concern and it's something that we have to pay attention to. Don't get me wrong, but in the, the comparison, you know, with the emails, if you take a closer look, if you take a close look at the email situation, it, I mean, it, it makes you mad, but it's not something that uh, is as big a, of an issue as people want to make it to be. I mean, there are people out here wearing shirts saying that she should be shot because she couldn't use her email properly. I mean, that tells you a lot about this country. There was a guy wearing a T-shirt that said Hillary should have married O.J., I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about a Donald Trump supporter, right? But this country does have a problem with a powerful woman in charge who isn't afraid to express her opinion, who um, gets her hands as dirty as the boys, and who moves and shapes as, as easily and handily as the boys. Uh, it's okay when the boys do it, but it's not okay when when the woman does it and it you see that i think most clearly when it comes to bill's infidelity and uh how the narrative is concerning that because you have and and i really do think rudy giuliani might be senile now maybe his family needs to step in and get him some help but uh, rudy giuliani coming out and saying that she wasn't competent to hold office because she stayed with Bill Clinton when he cheated on her, which is has all all levels of hypocrisy and ir- irony when you consider, you know, that he was never faithful and um, that the candidate that is opposing her cheated on how many wives? Two, three? I, I forget. How many times has Donald Trump been married now? He's on his fourth wife, right? has cheated on every single woman that he's ever been with. Um, and, and and never mind the fact that even, I mean, let's assume that Hillary Clinton had left Bill Clinton when when he cheated on her. What would have been the narrative then? Well, failed Mary. She can't even manage her own home. So how could she manage this country? You know the narrative would be, would have been that. You know, that it was her fault that she couldn't keep her marriage going. She probably wasn't giving him enough nookie in the bedroom, which is not even why men cheat, right? I mean, men cheat for a variety of reasons that have nothing to do with what their spouse may or may not be doing. But that would have absolutely been the narrative, you know, that she that her failed marriage is evidence that she isn't competent to be you know, head of of this country. It's just, you know, it's just interesting how that, um, you know, how that does seem, seems to, um, and then you get to all the stuff where, you know, where, where Donald Trump talks about the really mean ads 
that Hillary, Hillary Clinton is running. And those ads in question are simply clips of Donald Trump talking. That's it. Just clips of Donald Trump talking. And they're very effective, by the way, because when Donald Trump talks, he really shows who he is. And who he is 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 not a very good person. And um, just real quick, some other interesting things that came out in the um, in the debate, uh, more stuff suggesting that 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 Clinton didn't have the stamina to be president. Um, and then the 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 final thing, and there's a lot to talk about, but the final thing that I want to mention because we are getting ready to run out of time is the whole he won't release his tax returns and. Then he admitted in the debate that he hadn't paid taxes and was pretty proud about it. Taxes, we would have, this country would have squandered them. It was pretty interesting. Someone tweeted out, in response to that, someone tweeted out a photo of um, his wife and his child in their gold plated um, bathroom mansion. And, you know, saying, yeah, um, how squandered, yes, let's talk about squandering money. You know, it's just uh, there's just so so much hypocrisy associated with with Donald Trump that um, it, it I still am just amazed that he is doing as well as he is. I don't know why. I mean, we're again that he is doing so well is I think shows what what problems that we do have in this country with misogyny and racism and um, a lot of other different things. But, but it's pretty interesting. Will there be two more debates? Will we survive them if there are two more debates? I guess we'll see. Um, but, it, you know, again, it, it's pretty interesting to um to think about that and and to and to watch these debates and 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 you know and to watch how you know how these situations get handled so that's it for today again big shout out to Josh Taylor who joined me in the first guest segment some NFL talk Steelers talk and and what have you be sure to check out going for two tonight with Zach Law and Nathan Howe we'll be back on Friday with another show I hope that you have a great week. Happy Wednesday. So stay tuned in. We'll be back on Friday. You're listening to Bat Talk with Sharona. You can follow me back, by the way, on Twitter at Force by Sharona. And have a great week.